0: Mission Viejo Christian Church. Gosh, you guys look great. It's early, and it's early in the year, and it's on a Sunday morning. But look at you—you're fantastic. <laughs> like, oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks. I feel great. <laughs> um, I have you noticed as we as we gear up, uh, kind of around the whole New Year's theme. Have you noticed, like, there's a note of cynicism and pessimism about heading into what a lot of people just refer to as yet another year. I just want to point out that we as followers of Jesus... Like We can step into a new year with enthusiasm and with joy and with passion and with hope. Why? Because our hope has never been about the turning of a page on a calendar. Our hope's never been built on any particular set of circumstances or anything other than this one truth, that Jesus Christ dwells within us and he is within us the hope of glory. So we can step into a new day, a new week, a new month, and a new year full in joy and hope and enthusiasm regardless of the circumstances. And so I want to encourage us to step into 2022 with something like that in mind. I wanted to get kind of a head start on the new year and so last week in advance I made all my new year's resolutions and then I spent yesterday breaking all of them just to get that whole process out of the way and be done with. It. I feel like I saved myself probably three or four weeks and now I'm done with all of that silliness. We're going to be Uh, in the book of Luke this morning, kind of finishing out our series, uh, Light for Everyone. We're going to be in chapter 2, kind of towards the end, verses 41 through 50 or so. Um, And we continue to carry on just looking into uh, uh, Luke's presentation, his account of the life of Jesus, and asking the Lord to show us, God, what do you have for us in this? How do you want to guide us in this? How do you want to lead us in this? And so uh, let's just... um, by the way, the passage we're going to talk about today is an interesting one. It's, in all the Gospels, this is the only passage from Jesus' childhood. Like, we, we get baby Jesus in the manger, and we get adult Jesus in his ministry, and in between are a lot of years, and we get one passage out of that, and that's from Luke, and it's, it's the one we're talking about today. Now, why is that? Actually, the fact, the fact of the matter is that in the first century and in the second century, there actually were a lot of stories and tales out there about what Jesus was like in his childhood. There are stories of his time when, when he had fled down to Egypt with his family. There are stories of him like turning clay pigeons into actual birds who flew away. There are stories of him doing kind of miraculous things and things like that. But it's interesting that Luke, in particular, didn't want to just give us a collection of all the stories that were out there. He wanted to give us the stories that were true and actual and verifiable. In some ways, the fact that we have just one story from his childhood actually speaks to the reliability and the truthfulness of Scripture, because it means that Luke, when he was compiling his account, looked at a lot of the stories that were out there and said, I've talked to the eyewitnesses, I've... I've Talk to those who follow Jesus. I've talked, to Jesus uh, I've talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I know some of these things that have taken place. Those stories don't have the back, the, the verifiable background that some others do. Do you remember what Luke said at the beginning as he was writing to Theophilus and describing this project of his gospel? He said this, he said, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. He investigated everything from the beginning, which means he heard some stories, he set some others aside and said, can't verify that, not solid enough, not reliable enough, but what we have in his account is absolutely reliable and verifiable and truthful, and so we can be content on it. Jesus, in this particular passage, he's about 12 years into his life on earth. He's a 12-year-old. It's an important period of life uh, for a young Jewish male. It's in this year of life that he's preparing uh, for his bar mitzvah, that important ceremony where he steps from being a a, a child in the eyes of the community and then steps into being a full-blown adult, a man in the community. And so he's right at that. Jesus is in this episode. He's right at that kind of in between point that way, between childhood and adulthood. He's right on the cusp of the kind of independence that comes with adulthood. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 41. Here's what Luke tells us He says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. We'll just let that hang there for a moment, that he's hanging out in Jerusalem alone and they don't know about it yet. And and just observe a couple of things here in the passage. First of all, it mentions that they did this every year. Part of the Part of the uh, requirement of the Old Testament law, the Torah, which they followed, was, was all adult males made the trek to Jerusalem every year for Passover. Uh, but Jesus' family said, we're not, we're not just sending dad, we're bringing the whole family along. And we're not just doing it one time, it's not just a special event, but it's a lifestyle for us that when this central, crucial festival takes place, we want to take part in that together. For parents in in the room and online, there's an application here that's really straight ahead, right? The things that you do, the customs that you forge in your family, your patterns of celebrating God's faithfulness throughout the year at different places, those kinds of uh, celebrations and participations and uh, those sorts of things make a difference. They form the spiritual fabric of your family. And it's the things that we celebrate and do together and take time to do intentionally to, praise, to place God at the forefront of our family life, that's what our family becomes. And so whether it's attending church or praying, to the, praying together as a family or spending time in God's word together as a family, integrating your, your faith into your life as a family is a critically important part of what it is to raise kids in the Lord. Mary and Joseph were doing that with an annual trek to the the Passover in Jerusalem. And also, and this is going to help us understand what happens, it's this every year nature of the trip. I don't know about you, my earliest memories in life are maybe back when I was two or three years old. So if that were true of Jesus, from the time he was two or three, he, he had a memory every year of the long travel from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. He had a memory of where they would stay and who they would stay with. He would remember how the things took place and the visits to the temple and all of the different things that would be a part of that journey. And they did it year after year and it became very familiar, right? When I was a kid, my, uh, my parents we frequently took our summer vacations and we went backpacking in the Sierra Nevada mountains. We'd go up on the eastern Sierra, hike in over a pass, and stay there for a week or two with only what we carried in on our back and what we could catch out of the streams. It was awesome. And it would, the way it worked was, like the first, the first time we would ever go to a particular location, man, I was on a tight leash as far as my parents were concerned. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong up in the mountains, right? You can get lost. You can... Uh, get disoriented. Uh, we always told my mom that there weren't bears, but there really were bears, and that's the thing also. There's a lot that can happen. So when we would go to a new location, my parents were just very, very aware of where I and my sister were at all times. And then the next year, we'd go back. And there was nothing new here, and we knew where everything was, and we knew where the lake and the river and the whole deal. And so there was a little more room to maneuver and had a little more freedom. Well, at the time we'd been somewhere... Uh, three or four different times, right? We'd get up in the morning, we'd have breakfast, and I would just be out in the mountains and hiking and climbing and doing all the kinds of stuff. My parents would have no idea where I was except that I was just kind of somewhere out there. But it was okay because we'd done this year in and year out. we developed the rhythms. We knew what was expected, and it worked out just great. Jesus and his family are in that kind of a situation with this trip to Jerusalem. Let's, let's get back to Mary and Joseph uh, who were on their journey thinking that Jesus was in their company, it said they, tra- they travel they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Okay, so there's a the picture. They've gone to the very familiar year after year family. trek to to the Passover, did all the things that they do, did the same thing they did every year. They gathered in the caravan with all the other families from Nazareth and started heading back where they came from. And Mary and Joseph didn't really worry a lot because Jesus knew the routine. He knew what was going on. They'll catch up with him a little bit or he'll catch up with them. And so off they go for a full day. And you can imagine that it's like around dinner time at the end of that full day. They're wondering, where is he? Have you seen him? I thought he was with you. And so they start asking around, and nobody's seen him. And at dinner time on day one, they realize there's nothing to do but to go all the way back. And I have speculated sometimes about the kinds of conversations that may have taken place between Mary and Joseph on that full day trip back to Jerusalem. Scripture remains silent, and that's probably best for all of us, not to get a peek into that particular part of the communication uh, that way. But that gradually unfolding realization, kind of the horror and the panic and that long day's journey. Because you didn't just lose your son, like that's pretty terrifying. But God sent the Savior of the world and said, Take care of him. And you lost him. The Savior of the world was lost on your watch, he was the most important thing in the world. And you let him out of your sight, and you lost your focus, and you lost your connection to him. And I know, I, like, I know the feelings that flood through me when I think those kinds of thoughts. Well, that would never happen to me. I would never let that happen. I would never get so distracted by the things going on in my life that I got somewhat disconnected from Jesus and kind of lost sight of him and where he was and what he was doing. But I'll say this, nobody, and I mean nobody, is immune to losing track of Jesus. This happened to the least likely people on the planet, his parents, and they lost him. This happened perhaps in the least likely place, Jerusalem, the holy city, and they lost him. And it's also equally possible for you and for me, no matter how intent we are, no matter what our goals are, no matter which New Year's resolutions we've instituted, it's also possible for you and for me and for we together sometimes to lose sight of Jesus and to get disconnected and to realize he was here a while ago. I knew where he was, but quite frankly... It's been a while since I checked in and I'm not exactly sure where he is and where I would go to find him when we just feel kind of far and away and disconnected. No one is immune to losing track from Jesus, but the good news is this. Jesus will never lose track of us, right? Jesus described his ministry as the good shepherd, the one who says, hey, I've got 99 sheep over here who are doing great and behaving well and are very connected. That's great, but I've got a heart for the one that's wandered and strayed, and I'm going to go find him. I'm going to make sure that he's not lost and that we remain connected. When Back in the Old Testament, when Moses was getting ready to be done with his time on earth, and he was handing the reins of everything off to Joshua, he made a promise to his people that the Lord would never leave them or forsake them. And the writer of Hebrews kind of echoes that very same thought, that idea that God will never leave us or forsake us. So perhaps you're, one of the, perhaps you're a person here today who says, not only do I understand that it's possible to stray and to lose track of Jesus, maybe you're one of those people. Maybe this is just that season in your life where it's like it's been hard and it's been busy and it's been holidays and it's been family and sometimes family's great but sometimes family is not great and that creates stress and in the hullabaloo of it all, I just feel like I've, I've lost track of Jesus. The good news is he hasn't lost track of you. That you're in his sights, that you're on his mind, that you're on his heart and he reaches out to you and he pursues you and comes after you and says, please come back. I want to stay connected with you. Now, how did, how did Mary and Joseph lose track of Jesus? I think, I think we can draw some parallels between their experience of losing track of their son and the way that maybe we as followers of Jesus sometimes fall prey to some traps and distractions that allow us to lose track of Jesus as well. How do you lose track of Jesus? First, just get comfortable with the status quo. We've always done it that way. It's the same thing, right? This was just... This was the same old trip to Jerusalem. It was the same old Passover. it was the same old journey with all the families from Nazareth. It was the same old return trip, and things always work out the way that they do. It's going to be fine. It's just very comfortable, it's very predictable. It's very everyday. Do you know, what f- I'm sure we all do know a little bit what it feels like to allow our relationship with, with God to be that way oh, I know how things go. I go to Sunday, I go to church, they do some music, they do the message, get some coffee, get some donuts, go home for brunch. It's the same old thing. Yeah, I know Jesus is my Lord, and I know he's my savior, and I think everything's all good and fine, but it's just kind of the same old routine, and I'm satisfied with just the same old thing. And it's that satisfaction of the same old thing that doesn't check in with God to say, what are you doing today? Where are you at in my life today? What what things do you have in store for me today? It's favoring the status quo over that is what leads us to a place where, wait a minute, where's Jesus in all of this? How satisfied, I will ask you this, here at the beginning of a calendar year, how satisfied are you with the status quo? Because if you're completely satisfied with that, you're a candidate for losing track of Jesus throughout the year because he wants to do something new. And he wants to do something fresh. And he wants to speak a new blessing into your life this year. And we might miss it if we're just too satisfied with the status quo. Here's something else. Here's another way that we can lose track of Jesus, and it's this. Just assume that Jesus is with you on your own journey. I think we all rightly understand that when Jesus says, Follow me, that the model is Jesus decides to move in some direction. Jesus decides to take us somewhere. Jesus decides to move us to a particular place. And then we follow and we go and we pursue him where he goes. But sometimes, and we all fall prey to this, we all fall into the trap, partly because we're familiar with the status quo. We go, you know what? I know where I'm going. I'm going over here on my journey. And you know what? I'm pretty sure Jesus is with me. I, I'm not satisfied with this house that I'm in. I'm not satisfied with this marriage that I'm in. I'm not satisfied with this job that I'm in. Things need to change. I need to change. And instead of just pursuing Jesus and saying and asking the Lord, God, what, what are you saying to me and where are you leading me? Where are you guiding me? Instead of doing that we can say, oh, Here's a better house, here's a better relationship, here's a better job. I'm just going to go pursue that, and I'm pretty sure Jesus is with me in the crowd somewhere. That sense that Mary and Joseph had to say, we don't see Jesus. We haven't actually spoken with him. We haven't touched base. We don't know exactly, but but we're sure he's around here somewhere as we make our way back home. It's a great checkpoint to go where are the places in our life that maybe we've just decided to make some decisions, to make some changes, to set a direction and go. Do we know Jesus is with us on that? Have we, have we checked on that? Do we just assume that Jesus, because he loves us, is going to follow me? Boy, isn't that backwards, right? Hey, I'm going, Jesus, follow me. Follow my lead, Jesus. As opposed to, Jesus, would you lead me and I'll follow you wherever you call me. If you want to lose track of Jesus, get comfortable with the status quo. If you, want to get, uh, if you want to lose track of Jesus, assume that he's always with you no matter what. And then thirdly, if you want to lose track of Jesus, just rely on other people to keep you connected. Right? It, it seems like in many instances, in many relationships, there's one person in the relationship who's the one who's saying, come on, let's... Let's go to church. Let's hit that Bible study. Let's pray together. Let's do this, which is a wonderful thing. And men, I just want to say, if that's not you in your relationships, man up. That ought to be you, okay? Field your position. Let's go. Okay, enough of that. Um, But one of the things that happens when there's one person in a relationship or one person in the family or there's someone who's the reliable one who kind of keeps us connected and make sure that we're connecting to God, we rely on that. We go, oh, okay, I really don't have to do any of the things like spend time with the Lord, I don't, I don't really need to grow in my faith or pursue Jesus, because I've got, I've got a family member who's kind of keeping me in play over here, and I can just lean into that and rely on that. And as wonderful as it is to have that person, that's nothing like a real actual relationship with God That you own. Here's what happened with Mary and Joseph, right? Mary was pretty sure that Joseph was taking care of making sure that Jesus was in the group. Joseph, for his part, was probably pretty sure that Mary had touched base and knew that Jesus was around. They were both relying on each other, but when things broke down, it really didn't even matter whose fault it was. Jesus was lost, and they were disconnected. Oh, I'm sure they talked about whose fault it was on that full day journey back to Jerusalem. You can bet on that. But it didn't matter. They had falsely relied on another to keep them connected to Jesus. Who do you rely on? You just kind of hold off on a prayer life until someone kind of bumps you and says, how's that going? Oh, yeah, okay, fine. Fine. I want to encourage you, be the one. Be the one who's responsible for stepping into making that relationship with God an absolute priority and not leaving that to somebody else. Okay, back to the primary narrative here with Mary and Joseph looking for Jesus. While Mary and Joseph are freaking out, what is Jesus up to? And it turns out that while Mary and Joseph uh, are still thinking of Jesus as their young child... Jesus is beginning to step into his new life as an adult. For Mary and Joseph, their son, their child is missing. But when we look at what Jesus is up to, we see he's not operating as a child. He's stepped into the adult world. Luke picks up the narrative in verse 46. After three days, Mary and Joseph found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them one of the questions that comes to mind when we read this passage is, like, what what took them so long to find Jesus? Like, there came that moment, oh, we realize we're disconnected. We have lost track of Jesus. And so there was a day to get to that point. And then there's a day getting back to the city of Jerusalem. And it says it took, from the text, it says there's three days, so we can surmise there's a whole third day that's just looking around trying to find him what took so long see Jesus seemed to think that they should have known where to find them and that's—and it's interesting that's different coming out of the mouth of the Messiah than it would be coming out from the mouth of just your average 12 or 13 year old boy if I would had told my parents at 12 and 13 well you should have known where to look for me this would have been a very different story but Jesus says, you should have known, but they didn't know. What took them so long? Why couldn't they find Jesus? Well, one of the reasons they couldn't find him, and this is true, this is, they couldn't find him because they were looking in the wrong places. They spent a day going to probably the place where they had stayed. Probably some family members who maybe lived in Jerusalem, I don't know. But they went to a number of places. They spent their day looking for him, going to place after place after place after place where he was not. There's something that happens when we lose sight of Jesus. There's something that happens when we lose our connection with Jesus. The further we get from God, the more these um, empty places in our heart and our soul and our spirit make themselves known. Those things that those places in our soul that only God can fulfill become less and less fulfilled and we feel empty and we start looking around for the ways to fill them. And people look at all kinds of things to fill the empty places that are created when we're far from God, when we're far from Jesus, when we've lost sight of him. And they look at things like substances and they look at things like relationships with other people. Looks like you know they look into busyness and career and success and money. They make idols of their health and of their fitness. They worship at the altar of amusement and entertainment, all in this vain hope of somehow filling up the empty places that happened when they just lost sight of Jesus. Like Mary and Joseph, they're looking in all of the wrong places. That is not where you're going to find Jesus. It's certainly not where you're going to find fulfillment and meaning and a long-term hope. When there's only one thing to do when we're disconnected from Jesus, and that's to know where he is, and he's in none of those places. Where did they reconnect with Jesus? They reconnected with him in the temple. They went. They eventually got to the house of the Lord, and that's the place where they found him. That's a parallel that'll preach all day long, long, right? One of the places that we reconnect with Jesus if we've been far is to say, I just want want to come be with the people of God and spend time hearing God's word proclaimed, hearing worship, and being with God's people. That's one of the places we find him. It says that they found him what he was doing there was studying the scriptures. He was talking with the rabbis and the teachers about the Old Testament scriptures. Do you feel far? Do you feel disconnected from Jesus? Have you lost track? Are you trying to find him? One of the places you will find him is in the scriptures. One of the best parts of the new year is all those umpteen gazillion read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plans. They're all starting right now. Um, you can go to Version. You can go to almost any Bible app and get... All manner, all varieties of different plans for being that, uh, that help structure which scriptures you'll be in throughout the year with the Lord. And if you're not in the habit of Bible reading regularly, I just want to toss that out. That is a simple and very practical way to build that into your life. Because it's in scripture. It's on the pages of scripture and in the time that we spend there that we meet Jesus new and fresh. One of the things we know from Jesus' own ministry as well, one of the places we meet Jesus, it's not just here, but it's out in the world we live in. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was almost always found around the outcasts, around the hurting, around the poor, around the marginalized, around the disenfranchised, amongst the unfortunate. He was there just loving them. And I'm going to suggest... That if there's no part of our life that finds itself there, we're going to stay a little bit disconnected from Jesus because we find Jesus in the midst of his ministry and love and care to those who are in need. So you know where those great needs are in the life that you live and the people that you could reach out to with love in Jesus' name. They're there. Do you feel far from Jesus? That's a place where you'll connect with him in his ministry. And then we find him simply, we find Jesus with other believers. If you feel far from the Lord and it's time to kind of come on back and reconnect because you've lost sight of Jesus. Jesus said especially to his disciples, right? He said, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm, I'm there in the midst of them. Which, I mean, theologically, we all know that God is everywhere present, right? He's everywhere all the time. That's true. But there's something significant about believers gathering together in in numbers together to pursue him. That Jesus says, I'm there in a special way. There's something powerful and unique about that. These are some of those places that we can go to find Jesus. Mary and Joseph looked in the wrong places and didn't find him. And when they finally looked in the right place, they did find him. Are you looking for your soul's fulfillment? Are you looking for comfort and hope and redemption and restoration? I'm not sure where you're looking, but if you haven't been looking in the right place, you won't find him. They couldn't find... uh, uh, They couldn't find Jesus because they were looking in the wrong place. But they also couldn't find Jesus... Because they were looking for the wrong Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. They were looking for their son. They were looking for a child. If they had understood at that point in their life as parents that their nearly adult son was ready to be like getting into the mix with the best Bible teachers and instructors that Israel had to offer, that, that, he, that that's where he was in his development and in his growth and in his wisdom and in his knowledge. If they'd have understood that, they probably would have made the temple their very first stop. But they spent a day going other places because they looked at their son and they didn't see prophet, teacher, rabbi, savior Jesus. They saw our little boy and he's missing. And, and I think I can understand that. I think we all can. But it kind of requires us to ask the question, what, is, what picture do you have of the Jesus that you're pursuing? Again, maybe you've been away for a while and maybe you've disconnected from Jesus a little bit. What's the picture of the Jesus you're coming back to? Is it the Jesus from your childhood? I just want to say, if you're an adult and you're coming back and you're looking for little baby Jesus on the felt board from the Sunday school story you might not find what you're looking for. If the faith that perhaps you wandered away from at one point never developed into maturity, you may be looking for an immature view of who Jesus is and you might miss the much greater reality that Jesus as he is, is amazing and above and beyond what little we knew before. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews calls us and, and challenges us to say, don't, don't stay locked on an immature view of Jesus, but step into maturity. Here's one, one way that works out. What all of us, probably, uh, I won't say, most of us, we encounter Jesus like, there's a God who loves me. He knows my name. He has a plan. He died in my place. He wants to give eternity to me for free. It's like, what's not to love about that? The best thing about Jesus is he does all of this for me. I love that. And there's nothing wrong with the sense that Jesus is the one who can do for me everything I need. That's awesome. And it's true. And it's real. But if that's the only Jesus we ever see is the Jesus who does things for me, it's an incomplete view and it's an immature view. Because as Jesus meets us and as he loves us, he does have an agenda and a plan for our life. And it's to transform us from the inside out so that over time we stop being someone who just says, how can I get what I want and need? And we become someone that he empowers to help meet the needs of others. It's time probably to grow into a more mature view of Jesus and his plan for our life. Uh, The writers of the Hebrews put it like this. We have much to say about this but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's this call that says, look, you've been walking with Jesus for a while. The writer says, you've been, you've been following him for a while. You're just not where you're supposed to be. You should have much more knowledge by now. You should have much more understanding by now. You should be teaching others, but you're still just at the very beginning. And he uses this phrase to describe those who have become mature, and he says, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's something about that constant use. There's something about being regularly, repetitively, all the time connected to God and his people, both in the church and in the pages of scripture and in ministry out in the world. I just want to toss it out there here at the beginning of the year. That if status quo for you is a fairly simple and immature faith that is built and based only on what God will do for you and leaves no room for how God might transform you and change you and restore you and use you to accomplish his purposes, I want to encourage you. It's time to step up the level of spiritual maturity and by constant use of God's word, and by constant use of being in God's presence and, and in worship, by constant use of following him and walking in obedience to him, become someone who is mature. That's how, uh, that's how Jesus was. How did Jesus show his maturity? His parents are looking for a young child, Jesus, When they find him in the temple, he's clearly mature, adult Jesus. And how do we know that? Let's look at the way Luke, again, describes what Jesus was doing. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Every picture I've ever seen, every account I've ever viewed, they all show Jesus talking and telling The the teachers and the rabbis, and anyone who would listen, and they were amazed with everything that Jesus had to say. But when you look at that passage, what does it describe? It says specifically they found in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them, asking questions. I just have to toss it out there. One of the markers of maturity, not just spiritual maturity, but just general maturity, is the ability to listen and to ask meaningful questions before um, thrilling people with all of your insight as you tell them about it. The savior of the world is there with the word of God that they're talking about, the Old Testament. The one one that John refers to as the word is with a group of people who are talking about what the word means. And he's listening to what they have to say. And he's asking questions to make sure that he understands. And it says people were amazed by him that's what he was doing, and they knew that he had some answers. So what's Jesus' model for demonstrating maturity? First, he found wise, and he found knowledgeable people. As he's transitioning from being a, a, a child into an adult, he finds the place where the wise, knowledgeable people are, the teachers, teachers in the temple, and goes there. Do you want to grow in Christian maturity? If there are no people in your wife that you consider wise or knowledgeable, um, just start asking questions around. You'll find a bunch of them in here. We need people in our life who are wise and who are knowledgeable, right? Then he asked questions. He asked questions. There's nothing I love better as a pastor than somebody who says, Pastor Scott, I was reading this passage of scripture. I don't get it. Can you help me? And, and, and Pastor said, I was reading this. How does this passage that I'm reading here kind of connect with this other passage over here can you help me make sense of that i love a question because it means that someone has come they've come to the text and their minds are operating and they're thinking and they're not just reading words off the page and hoping something happens to them, to it they're engaging and they're asking questions like what does it mean and how do i understand it better how you questions are the best i want to encourage you if you hop onto one of those bible reading plans don't satisfy yourself just to check the box and say, I got all the words read today. Man, if you do enough of that reading, you should, you're going to run across some questions. Start asking. Start asking, because questions are the way to the answers. And the third thing that Jesus demonstrated maturity with is just he listened, he was a listening ear. I don't think we appreciate how the people in our lives just need someone to listen, just to hear to care enough sometimes to sit in silence and listen powerful things happen and great insight comes when we do Mary and Joseph lost track of Jesus right they lost him then they looked for him then they located him and then they went on, on their way along with them. Can I just ask you maybe to consider wh- where you are in that relationship with Jesus today? Are you one who's kind of lost track of him somehow? He's easily found, and we're gonna pray here in just a minute if you'd like to. Or maybe you're one of the ones who's been uh, looking for something. Something to fill the empty places, something to fill the brokenness, something to fill the pain and the disappointment or the whatever it is. And maybe you're coming to understand, I, it's not working. I'm not finding the right things. I'm looking in the wrong places. If you're looking, we're going to pray and Jesus will reveal himself to you. Or maybe you're one who said, no, I have found him. I've located him. And and it's just time to grow what relationship with him him that I have into a deeper place of maturity, a deeper place of understanding and taking the steps to do that. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we're going to pray together that God does that. The band's going to come on out. Um, In just a quick moment, I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, there are um, communion elements in the seat back in front of you. And after taking a few moments to reflect on where you are in your relationship with the Lord, taking a few moments just to connect with God in prayer. Um, There will be some scriptures up on the screens that kind of help you reflect on the meaning and the symbolism of communion, the bread which uh, represents his broken body, the the juice that represents the blood that he shed to pay the price for our sins. After a few moments of reflection and prayer, you can go ahead and open that and receive those elements as a symbol of your affirmation of your faith. And then kind of after a few minutes, uh, the band will close us out with a song and I'll be up. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.